man, freak out. You're listening to the Brenton on Tour podcast. That's right. He travels the world running concerts and searches for the best coffee, people, and amazing stories so you don't have to. Pay attention, you're going to learn something for a change. This is a show about all of those things and much, much more. You're blowing my mind right now. This is, I hope someone's recording this. So settle in for a cup of amazing coffee. He's a coffee snob, by the way. Crank that ghetto blaster and enjoy the 150,000 ranked podcast in the land. Ah, fake laugh. Hiding real pain. I think that's an exaggeration. It's the Brenton on Tour podcast. Any question? Here's BD. And we're back. Brand new season of the Brenton on Tour podcast has begun. I am still on tour, technically, just finished up. A run that is still kind of going from that started in Vegas. It kind of has ended in this Las Vegas area. In all points in between, my guest today was had joined me for a good portion of that through Europe. And I feel like I'm still on that tour because I haven't really been home for more than a couple of days. And haven't had a chance to really do any recording. But finally, finally, I was able to sit down, grab a little bit of time. And start the new season. So the Brenton on Tour, Tour uh, podcast is back. We're going to cover all the things that we've been covering, of course. Coffee, music, travel, life. We're going to cover the Making It series. We're going to cover uh, the Sober series. I'm going to get into a whole bunch of different things. But I had an opportunity this summer to tour with one of my favorite Canadian bands. And it was a super bonus to have them open this tour that I've been on all year. Uh, wonderful people. Uh, that had a, a, in my opinion, a very successful European run. And it's going to keep going for them. they got tons of tour dates coming up. But Ryan from Mother Mother and Goldmouth is with me today and has his own solo project on the way as well, or actually has, has come out, which is pretty awesome. And uh, we're going to kind of dive into all of it. But mostly I just want to see what he's been up to and what he's been doing since I, sass- since I left him last. And I feel... Quite lonely out here without without you guys, and just wanted to check in and see how you're doing, buddy. <laughs> Yo, how's it going? I'm doing okay. How's your world, man? Great. Yeah, life is good. Thanks for having me. Now, now you guys have been uh, pretty busy since I sass, like like sort of left you a bit. You played a few festivals and a few things. What's been going on? Yeah, a couple of one-offs um, in Canada. Uh, those are great. And um, just preparing for this next three months of touring that begins on Tuesday or next week. Um, And I've been putting the pieces together to release my solo project, um, building a new set. So all good stuff, all music related activity. So I feel quite blessed that my life is so consumed with this thing that I've always wanted to do. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure watching you guys every single night live in that setting with the festivals that were in the state. That's like the perfect festival stadium band. It was great. You had people cheering along. You're great in clubs. I mean, how was that experience for you guys? I mean, yeah, it was it was amazing on every level. Um, But I think the thing that was most beneficial for us 
for touring in stadiums with Imagine Dragons, um, sprinkled with those European festivals, was we were kind of forced to graduate as a, a live act. Um, much of that setting was beyond the scale that we were used to. And so we kind of had to rise to the occasion and every show, you know, turn up um, our output by two or three percent. So by the end of the tour, it was like, oh, I think we're a better band by 40 percent. You've played a lot of festivals, obviously, before in Canada and throughout. But are you are you basically saying the amount of stadiums in a row or the amount of the of the big shows that you guys did in a row kind of played an effect on that? Any stadium. We, we, we've never played stadiums. Um, our hard ticket show in North America is anywhere between, you know, 1,000 and 5,000 people. Um, and so to be in a venue playing to 60,000 people, that's just a different language. It's a different planet. And so... You know, we had to acclimate, graduate to that that new world. You walk on stage for the first time. Now you played festivals, so you're used to a ton of people, but you walk on that stadium stage for the first time, you hit that first note on the first show, you walk off stage. What's the first thing like out of your brain when you walk off stage for the first time? We need to do more. <laughs> more of uh, performance connection energetic conveyance gesticulation better speaking we just need to do more we need to do better in this context that was my thought when we walked off stage in Riga Latvia that was the first show in the rain in the rain yeah my other thought was like it's really hard to put it on an animated performance when the stage is so slick you kind of like have to stay quite sedentary, which does not um, serve playing a big show. So that was an interesting first gig. I remember saying to Slipper, your front of house guy, I'm like, did these guys ever have a bad show? Because right from the beginning to the end, you guys were, as far as I was concerned, dialed in. But at what point were you like, I th think we we got this. I think we got this on this this show with this stadium. We got these this crowd. We got them in their hand. Was there a point or is it still going? I mean, I think you never feel like you give the perfect show, but you definitely have um, shows that feel a little more transcendental, like there's an energy beyond the energy that you're trying to control that comes into play, that takes care of everybody. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's something of like a divine experience when those shows happen, but they're very rare. And I would say the one show on that tour was in Santiago, Spain, where it's just we walked out and just what the crowd is giving and what we were giving back harmonized so well. Yeah, and it just felt like we were taken care of both parties. Um, very special show for us. Flip side to that question. You got to go back to clubs. You got to go back to maybe opening slots and arenas. Hey, one second. I gotta. I gotta shut my window here. There's a dump truck out there. Hey, welcome to live podcasts, everybody. <laughs>
tapping on them all the time. I got planes flying out here next to my window in Vegas. So, it, 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 hey, listen, this is what we do. Welcome to so, Railtown, Vancouver. It's cacophonous down here. So you go from the stadiums. There's this amazing emotional thing. You've got crowds. You've got you know Spain. You've got the crowd in your hand. And then you got to go to a club. And how do you replicate that internally to say, okay, this is the same thing, but it's just smaller. Yeah, I think like anything over one person is a lot of people in a way, in a manner of thinking. Um, so I think you just apply a lot of the same techniques of trying to connect. Um, I lost you. I don't see you. That's because I've given you the full screen, buddy. Okay. I need to see you, baby. <laughs> don't leave me. That's okay. That's, uh, we, we are, this is for YouTube and everything as well. So it's going to be, you know. Oh, I see. Like what they see, what I see is what yeah. they see. Okay. Yeah, what you see is what they see. Okay, do this your thing, do your thing. technology that we have, you know. <laughs> Welcome to live so, podcasting, everyone. I know. Isn't that funny? I think still, it's. We're all still figuring it out. you got to live on the edge a little bit. But uh, do you take that stadium experience and put a stadium show on inside the club? To an extent, I think you can risk overdoing it. You want to play to the space that you're in. Um, I think that's the, that's the respectable thing to do. Um, because if you're toppling people with a stadium energy in a 2,000-person club, then maybe they're feeling like, they're craving a little more intimacy from you. That can happen. I think when we got back from these stadium shows, we played these smaller festivals in Canada, and we like we ran at that crowd like a juggernaut coming off of that stadium energy. And I talked to a friend who was at the show. He's like, that was a lot. I was like, was that too much? <laughs> he said, maybe, you know, for the venue you were in. I said, okay, good to know. You know? I had to dial it back. Yeah, maybe. Well, especially because you just want to keep that that energy. It's so infectious, you know, and that yeah. crowd that, give, that is giving you back things. And Canadian crowds are amazing, but they're a little bit more, like, chilled or, you know, they're not losing their mind, like in Europe mm -hmm. all the time. I don't, I don't find anyways. Yeah, um, the temperament varies for sure from region to region. It's interesting. So the journey to get you to that stage has been going for a while. Give us a little bit of history on the beginning of Mother Mother uh, into where we are right right now, because you guys have had amazing uh, streaming numbers. Uh, this new record is killing. Like you're just doing some great stuff, but it seems like a journey to get here, to break it overnight and just do amazing stuff. So give us a little history there. Yeah, it's like overnight success after 17 years. Yeah. Um, so I started the band, uh, it will be 18 years ago um, in 2023 with my sister, Molly, in Vancouver. Um, we were in our early 20s and I was going to jazz school and she was going to art school. And we had never performed music together, but I started writing these songs and 
by virtue of her unique speaking voice, I had this sense that she would make a great backup singer. And so I proposed this strange idea to her. And she was very reticent, but agreed to trial this proposition at an open mic. And we went and played this thing. And it was like time stood still. And so we both quit school and poured everything into this project. And within a year, we had stirred up a good little buzz in Vancouver, caught the interest of Last Gang Records, which was a boutique indie label out of Toronto. And that was exciting for us because um, Metric was on that label at that time, and that was one of our favorite bands. So we signed to them, did four albums with them, moved to Universal, did three albums with them, moved to Warner, are on Warner now. And um, all the while we've been grinding, incrementally ascending. Like if you saw it on a graph, it would be this very subtle um, ascension. Uh, over the past, you know, 15 years of being signed and touring. And it wasn't until 2020 uh, when we caught like our big break. And that was an abstract, inexplicable situation where TikTok joined a pandemic and created a, a firestorm of energy around Mother Mother, its early catalog, and, you know, millions of kids around the world and so that has since uh you know breathed new life into our career uh transformed our touring business and just uh revitalized the band it's like it feels like we're, we're a new band um not just vicariously but even just personally i feel like i'm just getting started now who was the person that said to you guys hey something's happening here uh, like is our management on Monday? Yeah, on Monday, Monday it's like regular day. Tuesday, Darren's going. The internet just blew up. It wasn't quite that stark. It was like we have more streams than we should, you know, or there's more YouTube hits than there should be. And it's like, why? I don't know. It's like we're not putting anything new out right now. We're off cycle. This doesn't make sense. And then it was like, you know what? We discovered where this is coming from, this app called TikTok. It's like, huh, weird. And I was urged to like start an account and go onto the app and just take a look around. I was like, okay, sure. And I went in there and it was just like, holy smokes, there's like, you know, 80,000 videos of kids in their bedrooms, like jamming out to songs we put out 13 years ago. That's amazing. And I love the fact that the kids have taken that thing for themselves there's not really a algorithm control at this point so everyone's blowing up on this thing yes yeah. incredible it's lawless do you support that obviously there's this debate between a lot of artists about whether to use tiktok <laughs> to help get them there and a colleague of ours an artist had said to me a lot of kids don't want to use it they want to stay genuine and they want to break by themselves and somebody had told them you don't have a choice it's someone's going to take your music and run with it so you can choose to own it and make it yourself like make, make it your own thing and own those fans and 
keep making content for them and blowing it up. And it's kind of undeniably, you kind of have to use it. It's almost become a new record label. How do you feel about that? I'm not much for refuting reality and evolution. It seems like just very akin to the advent of streaming. There is all this resistance and then now it's the norm. It's just the way life works. It's, it's the way the world works. It evolves. Um, breakthroughs and distribution technology comes into the fray and takes over and people acclimate and that's that. The whole question about like, if I participate, my authenticity is at risk. I don't understand. Just be authentic wherever you are. Be authentic sure. on TikTok. Be authentic over there and over there and everywhere. That's on you to maintain your truth in this business. And um, I don't think you can blame that on an app. So that's kind of my stance. I, and like, I struggle with TikTok. I do. I find it um, exhausting and kind of daunting and, and confusing. And I don't know exactly what to do. And you yeah, always so feel that, like- That's my question. But struggle to make stuff or make content on TikTok? Yeah. Is that it, the idea? Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It's a big demand. It takes a lot of time. You always feel like you're not doing enough there because it is such a powerful app. Like it does have the ability to expose you to so many people and it's an odds game. So the more TikToks you make, the more chances you have of getting pushed out to more people. And that's a good thing. That's what we want. We want exposure. Um, so you just have to balance your mental health and your participation mm -hmm. and your work ethic. Um, but I do think the same principles applies to this as it did MySpace, as it did streaming, as it did to any of these technological advents um, that reshape the music industry. Getting the real story from news in 2022 is f***ed. Well, let's be honest. News in 2022 is, quite frankly, kind of f***ed. That's why in conjunction with the Dean Blundell Podcast Network, we've developed The Linz Report, a snack-sized rundown of the top stories you saw this week or heard about on DeanBlundell.com. The Linz Report anchors and contributors will bring you those stories in 20 minutes or less, chock full of details, receipts, and a healthy dose of snark. This isn't your grandparents' newscast. Check out The Linz Report, available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You have to make it part of your day now? Um, these days, I'm, I'm willfully neglecting TikTok because I'm just kind of focusing on other things. And it's like, okay, right now there, there's a lull. But I know that when we go on tour, it'll pick up. I'll have more material to work with. I'll be more focused in the womb of the band on the road and a TikTok will pick back up. It's, it's interesting because I think about the cycle of a band and a record and we as fans, you, you, you get the album, you see the band maybe twice on tour. They would come through your city twice on a cycle and then it would be two years before you see them again. Now it's every month people want content. Mm -hmm. And I always go, what is the better approach? Leave them wanting more and then coming back to you in a year when that new record comes out? Or do you have to stay on it? And for you as an artist that has been on a 15 or 17 year journey and still trying to break around the world, it's 
I'm just curious if that drives you crazy. Like if the formula feels like it's ever changing and you're just playing catch up all the time, or you, do you guys have like a method that you like to stick to? Cause you got a lot of records and you were on stage saying, this is our ninth album. And I'm like, that's a long, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a lot of records. Mm-hmm. I think you have to serve the appetite for your product. It's like, is there an appetite? If so, then serve it. If there isn't, then maybe it's time to go work on your empire in private and then come back and present and see if that um, stirs up a bigger appetite. Right now for Mother Mother, there's a big appetite. We caught this lucky break two years ago. We met this new energy with a lot of gratitude, a lot of humility, and a lot of hard work. And that has, I think, set the course for some appetite over the next number of years. Yeah. And so I'm willing, we are all willing to play the, the content game over this next chapter of life because that is yeah. the natural order of things. That is, we feel like that's in sync with the universe. But if there wasn't this appetite, then I think it would be lopsided if we were thrusting content into the world. It's sure. like, no, take a break. Go reassess what it is you're offering. And maybe you're not offering enough for the right thing. And it's time to, you know, redefine your project and then try again. We've done that nine times. Every album's been different. Yeah. And has been met with different degrees of appetite. And some of them was a letdown. It's like, ah, didn't quite do what we wanted it to do. Time to go back, think about how we want to present this band next time. Do you write around what you just went through? Um, to As far as what works live, stadiums, you've got that intimacy, which is amazing. But then you also saw what worked in this grand scale. So do you go back and go, we need more songs like like this because they worked really well, but we also need to more songs like this because some people like to see us in this, this little club. That must be interesting. Yeah, I mean, of course you want to have all of those conversations with yourself as you're trying to refine your vision. Um, but I always wind up back at the place of, you know what, this is getting too strategic. Just go mm-hmm. to the piano, go to the guitar, go to the canvas and shut the brain off, open the heart up and write music that's inspired, that's true to your soul. And then let the chips fall where they may. If it's a sure. stadium song, great. If it's an acoustic campfire thing, great so long as it is true which leads me to this brand new gold mouth how did this come together i've been thinking about doing a solo project for i think you know ever probably for the last 20 years um but with no real uh urgency around the concept but just like i would like to do that sometime in life to write music and uh, serve a project that was kind of melancholic and slower and more individualistic um, 
And it just so happens that now is the time to unveil that. I began working on this in 2018 and took about two years to find the vision, find the essence, write the songs, produce the songs, take the photos, blah, blah, blah. And um, was ready to release it in 2020. But then the world changed, Mother Mother blew up and shelved Goldmouth. And uh, now in this little window of downtime, it's not even a window of downtime, but it just felt like we couldn't wait any longer. It was just going to collect too much dust. So let's just put it out in a very unsolicitous manner. Like, here, here's this music. You know, you're welcome to take part. Um, but then really just get back to work with the band and let, let that percolate on the side. Are you going to tour it? Or is this sort of, this is my, my solo thing. And I'll get to it eventually from touring because Mother Mother is so busy. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to die with it. So, yes, I'm going to tour it. Like, this project, I will take this project to the grave. And I'm excited to see what Goldmouth sounds like, looks like in 20 years, in 10 years, in 30 years. You know, like, it's that kind of a project. Um, and yeah. am I in a hurry to tour it in, like, a fiscally album cycle way? The, like on this record I'm not even there I don't think like that with regards to this project which is kind of like the gift I'm giving to myself with this project after being in something more machine oriented with Mother Mother where it's like you gotta like you gotta hit these schedule marks um, and tour and reach these markets and blah 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 I don't want this to be like that one thing I noticed on this trip with you guys you in particular, uh, our, our friend Sean Vareau had mentioned one time, the genius of my oh Well, just, you know, artists are on their own, their own way, and they all have their own, their own you know, quirks, or their own, they write a certain way. But I do notice a, a very interesting songwriting style with you. Where do you pull your influences from? And I mean that in a, in a good way. It's, it's not first course, first percent. There's tons of stuff that are in, the, in those headphones for me. And you've got a great band and people supporting you. And I'm sure Gold Up is going to be loaded with all this kind of stuff. But where do you pull your songwriting stuff from? Uh, I think it probably started with the Beatles and how unconventional and innovative they were with, with their craft. Um, and then in my teenage years, I, I got into metal. Um, and so long songs that veered off and took chances in their arrangements. Um, and then I went to jazz school and then I kind of started to acquire the language, the harmonic language that was more extensive beyond the diatonic pop. Um, sounds and by that I mean like modulating with diminished chords with augmented chords with seventh chords chromaticisms both in the harmony and the melody um, and so that just gave me a bit more vocabulary to work with with my writing and I think the music that has has penetrated my heart the most is like quirky eccentric um, indie pop rock situations like the Pixies, Talking Heads, 
violent femmes, bands that have a quirk factor and a, a male lead that isn't overtly masculine. Um, that has all, always appealed to me. So there's sort of like this androgyny. And then when I got a chance to incorporate female harmonies, I was able to really amplify that vision and create um, a creature um, coming off of the vocal side of things that felt kind of alien, androgynous, That's great. which I really I that. care for. Yeah. I, lo- I love how you just said it like that because I was feeling like that, like, like inside from that record. And I think I texted you when I was on the plane. I'm like, I'm really diving into this song right now. <laughs> and it's got so many layers, it's amazing. And, and I, uh, it's going back into the Canadian lore. You know, I was a big I Mother Earth fan, still am, that have loaded records which is tons of sonic journeys on them. And I find that with your records, they're like that. So for me, thank you. wonderful. That's always <laughs> nice to hear. Um, you know, and I think we're at a place right now where we want to push it harder. We feel like we've been granted this permission, you know, permission that you always realize you never needed. But, you know, being that the strangest side of the band is what has blown the band up that has reminded us like, okay, we're allowed to do whatever we want. In fact, we're much better off in really tapping into our strange factor and taking a lot of songwriting risks and piling the harmonies up and using words that are challenging and that are condensed. Like how many times I've heard from like label people like turn the harmonies down or less harmonies or it, you know, it's a bit too verbose, you know, that kind of stuff. It's too quirky, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like all of that stuff is what's making the band successful. So it's, it's pretty ironic, but, but liberating. Pardon me. Someone must have told Bowie that. Yeah. He was like, yeah, nice try. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, a few more for you. So all music all the time, producing all the time you're in a beautiful part of the world like me and in British Columbia. What are you doing outside of music to kind of occupy your brain and uh, keep your mental health going, feeling good inside, all the rest of it? Um, Well, I mean, it's all creative. Um, I I take a lot of um, therapy from just being creative in in these other mediums that are more in alignment with, with Goldmouth, that being photography and videography and poetry and just creating that world, that essence of deep, um, soulful creativity um, that's not really not a, a tr- attached to anything overtly commercial. Um, like I could go out today for an hour with, with the camera and just walk around my neighborhood in this, you know, in this contemplative autumn equinox sunlight and it would do the job of like a spiritual retreat where you have coffee enemas and drink green juice for you know right. nine days so that's what i do to 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 tend to my soul is take photos and videos and write with no other reason other than to enjoy that stuff it's not to put it out and to be successful it's to enjoy it people with a hamster that's running all the time like yourself and creative and creative people 
do you find it can you embrace it? Do you find it can drive you a little bit crazy? Well, I know how to turn it off, and that is to commune with the beauty outside of me, to go look for a photo, to open yourself up to the energy of a song. That turns the brain off. Um, I mean, the quote is, thinking is the death of creativity, and I believe that. It's a, oh, it's a feeling business. And so that's how I turn my hamster wheel off, is by living a more artful life and, and making sure every day has a creative um, chapter in it. I always wonder about that, because I have a hamster in my own way that's running. You know, I started this show just to try to wrangle that hamster in, you know, and try to be creative, have conversations with people and get their take on life and the creative process and all the rest. And I have a hard time making that hamster stop running. You know, to my detriment at some point, because I definitely want to just keep hanging out content and something will come to me like, oh, I, don't, I want to do this interview or do that interview. And so kudos to you to find that way. <laughs> it's, 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 it's difficult, man. Yeah, I mean, there's ways. A lot of it's physical too, like your nervous system, knowing how to connect to your nervous system, knowing how to calm your nervous system through breathing or some kind of, you know, spiritual practice. Not that you need to believe in anything, but to meditate and connect to an energy or a consciousness, that kind of thing. I mean, I think that if people just had a more mindful practice that they were committed to daily, they would experience probably a, a great transformation with their nervous system and then their ability to calm the mind. A lot of it's just like brass tacks, physiology, neurological stuff. Is there a song or is there music that does that for you? Um, there's one song. Um, I think I've cited this song before. It's, it's called Spiegel in Spiegel. It's such a angular name it's it's kind of an ugly name but um it's a song by arvo part and it's a, a piano and violin piece it's quite long it's seven or eight minutes and it's um yeah it's like a a bomb for the soul b-a-l-m um i would suggest anybody who feels like their nervous system is jacked up just to lay down, put a little towel over your eyes so it's nice and dark, turn that song on, and let yourself rest and slow down. Knowing the effect that that has on you, are you going to try to create something like that for someone else? Uh, I, you know, again, it's like, don't try. Sure. Just show up at the piano or wherever and let the, let the music come through. And I trust that those songs will come through. I trust that I will make um, a plethora of Spiegel and Spiegels over the next 40 years of writing music. There's some wonderful pieces on the last record, and I'm stoked to see what's coming on this whole record. Knowing what I know now and what I've seen now, I'm going to be looking for all this kind of sonic stuff. Cool. Great. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. I poured a lot into it. Um, I 
produced and engineered and mixed it all myself over the course of um, a couple of years up until a point, up until the 11th hour when I kind of felt like I needed a bit of help. And so I employed uh, Howard Redekop, who's a longtime <clears throat> collaborator and friend of the band who produced the last record and Oh My Heart and Touch Up. And he came in and it was a beautiful reunion. We took all this stuff that I had created to Afterlife Studios, which used to be Mushroom, where Mother Mother recorded those first two albums. So it had this kind of voodoo and we added to it. And then um, we took it to the warehouse studios in Gastown, Brian Adams Studios, yeah. and kind of ran all these sounds that I kind of created within the cold computer through this analog gear and through the tape machine. And yeah, he really helped me get to the next level in the final stages of things. I'm excited. When's it coming out? It's coming out uh, tomorrow. Can I say tomorrow on this podcast? Does that make sense to the listeners? Well, we're going to, I guess this will be out by then because I'm going to put this out next week. So, <laughs> Yeah, one song is out and uh, the rest of the album comes out tomorrow. But yeah, it's out. So the album comes out the 23rd of September. Yes, correct. It was last week, but t tomorrow. Yes. I mean, time, right? It's a, it's a myth. It's a, it's a lie. That's right linear time so, so congratulations on the release tomorrow and last week <laughs> well thank you i get double the congrats that's great it's awesome uh before i let you go you got a big tour coming up you got your team and is ready to go how do you get ready mentally uh what do you prepare physically and what's the process to get that machine out there yeah i mean definitely there's a lot of physical preparation involved um I'm rehabbing a, a back injury, um, so that's been quite consuming. Um, I'm not drinking, I'm not ingesting any toxins, so just kind of getting clear and clean. Um, and visualizing, you know, those days on the road, visualizing waking up on a bus with 12 other people where everyone's trying to make their coffee and just Premeditating on entering that space, calm and graceful, um, rehearsing how I might speak to the crowd. Just, yeah, just going through the, the visual motions so I feel more prepared. I find visualization a lot more effective than other forms of preparation. But that's how we all started. We all started in our room pretending we were on a stage. I mean, at least I did with a tennis racket pretending I was on stage playing to thousands of people. Yeah. And one of those venues that I did that for and envisioned it was Walburn in Berlin, where we played outside. Mm -hmm. So happy to share that moment with you guys. Likewise. It was, uh, it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It was. Um, well, all the best out out there to the team, the band, everybody. Uh, you've uh, absolutely floored me with how you guys, to your point, played that first show and then just took that crowd and made it your own the rest of the tour. And I know that this tour loved having you guys on there. 
and I personally uh, absolutely won't forget that experience. It was amazing. It was amazing. So all the best to you guys out there. Nor, nor will we, Brent. I, I, yeah, I just want to say thank you for everything. You went above and beyond on that tour to treat us so kindly and support us. So thank you. And I told the band I was doing this podcast, and they they really wanted me to give their love. Ah, what an experience that was uh, and, to be on tour with them. Reiterate and the gratitude. I, I wish them all the best. This is going to be a hell of a, a tour for them. Well, I love to you there's all. nothing more exciting all than a band. people. That just had the best time. You so. can just see it happening on the rise. You just see Bye, them Ryan. just... In, <laughs> Rising and rising in front of, and streaming these, these tomorrow uh, and yeah and last uh, week these fans and making them their and, own and, 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 and uh, congratulations for time for them to go Thank back you. to another uh, a little break tour. from all these shows and uh, I'm going to be uh, about to go out make sure you get a ticket show it's going to be I'm very very excited for them mothermothersite.com go check them out all the best to you this been the Brenton on tour podcast have a good day check it out brentonontour.com for all past episodes as you guys are aware. Uh, I've got to thank my friends at Partake uh, Brewing, uh, non-alcoholic beer. Those guys have been amazing and big supporters of what I do and uh, have been getting me on tour uh, and sending me stuff on tour to uh, just uh, maintain uh, a sober life on tour, which I've been trying to do. Uh, and they've been a big supporter, uh, big supporter of me, and I appreciate them. So uh, stick around. Come around. Next couple of weeks, i got a bunch of different guests coming up. Uh, i got Danik from Emerson Drive. I'm going to have my friend Tim Wendelbo back from uh, Tim Wendable Coffee, which will make Ali happy from Mother Mother. He loves a big coffee fan like me and uh, a bunch of other guests that are on the way as well to talk all the things. Sobriety, why not? Uh, trying to make it uh, coffee and travel and life and trying to get some amazing people. So that is the Brent Tour podcast for another week. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.